of the saints. It's the penultimate one in our series in foundations and uh, next week is therefore our last one. We're looking at the work of the Holy Spirit in us and then uh, the following week is a members meeting uh, at seven o'clock on a Sunday evening. I think that's the first so you'll be getting uh, an email about that tomorrow. But hopefully you've got in front of you um, uh, a handout, and it's a multicolored handout, no expense spared. David Moss would be turning in his grave if he was dead, but he's alive, thankfully, and uh, at this extravagant use of color. Now, one of the great encouragements of these Sunday evenings is having the young people here. In fact, it's an absolute thrill every time I come in and see you here on a Sunday evening. It's just, it's so heartwarming, so important. And it's thrilling to see you getting your teeth into some of the meat of the gospel. Believe it or not, and it does take a lot of believing, I was once in the YPF. It was 60 years ago, admittedly, and it's actually where, my, where I met my wife, Val. So, guys, just bear that in mind. <laughs> and sometimes, what Val and I do is to get out pictures of the church out of the, of the YPF from all those years back and um, there's one here I believe hopefully here's one it was taken in Ashburnham down in Sussex it was the end of a YPF week the rest of the church came to join us this was many many decades ago but it's a wonderful thing to look at that picture and uh, you might actually if you're keen-eyed you'll recognize some people that are in the room tonight or you may not because they're much younger and they're that much more haggard now but um, it's wonderful to see that but the sadness in those photos is to see people who aren't going on in their Christian life people who once professed Christ people who once said they were going to follow Jesus people who were baptized but now all these years later are found not to be following him so my question of the YPF indeed all of us but particularly the YPF is what about you will you stay the course in 10 20 30 60 years time I know that's a heck of a time but will you still be running the race will you bring joy or sadness to people to some of your leaders who pull out those photographs and look with joy at some of the images and some of the faces but with deep sadness at others well that's what we're thinking about this evening this issue of persevering keeping going in doctrine terms it's called the perseverance of the saints it doesn't appear that word perseverance in the bible very often but more frequently, loads of other words that appear which mean exactly the same thing. Words like steadfast, or patient, or enduring, or continuing. And so this evening, as we near the end uh, of our canter through some of the basic doctrines of the Christian faith, we've been looking at the unfolding story of salvation. It began, you remember, with election, with God choosing. 
Then God calling. That effective grace that Steve has been speaking of the last two or three weeks. Reaching us. Calling us to God. Election. Calling. And then justification. God making us right with himself through the Lord Jesus. And that leads on to sanctification. God changing us. Making us more like him. That's a lifetime's process. It's not going to be complete until our dying day. This morning, I was preaching down over in um, Woodford at uh, a friend's farewell service, uh, and uh, he'd persevered in the ministry there for 22 years. I reminded him, uh, or the congregation actually, of uh, an incident once that uh, when Andy Wyatt, who was an elder at the church here, he and uh, I were out in the Philippines visiting Derek and Liz. And in the Philippines, they love their T-shirts because the weather's like this, but like 365 days of the year. So it's always T-shirts, shorts. But they love to emblazon their T-shirts. And, and one day, Andy and I were in this place, and uh, down the street, this guy was coming. And he had this T-shirt on which said, don't give up on me. Don't give up on me. We kind of thought it was either a slogan or the name of a pop group. But the answer came when he went past, and on the back it said, God's not finished with me yet. Don't give up on me. God's not finished with me yet. That's the work of sanctification. It's a lifetime's process. As, as God forms the image of Christ in us, makes us more patient, makes us more gracious, makes us more tolerant, makes us more a little bit like Jesus. That's the word, uh, that's the work of justification. But then, of course, it finishes at the end of the race in glorification. God bringing his children to a new heaven and a new earth. But as we saw last week, you can't study any one of those five in isolation. They're all linked together. And how God saves us is inextricably linked to how he keeps us. So although tonight we're looking at the perseverance of the saints, we're actually looking at something that runs like a thread through the whole of our Christian life and through this doctrine. God stands at the beginning and in the middle and at the end. He's at the beginning, he elects and calls, he's in the middle, he justifies and sanctifies us and in the end he's there, persevering with us, bringing us to glory. They're all joined together in one golden chain. And there it is on the notes in glorious technicolor from last week's notes that Steve gave us, those five links. And it's that last stage of the journey that uh, we're going to look at this evening, the perseverance of the saints, as um, Calvin put it in his, his, his five tenets of the Christian faith. Now, if you want a book to um, follow up on all this, I want to recommend one to you tonight. I'm sure you can get it very cheaply online, secondhand. I don't know why people buy new books other than for gifts and so on, because they're so expensive these days, but you can pick them up really cheaply online. Here's one, Foundations of the Christian Faith. The interesting thing about this book, when I picked it up this week, is that um, it's signed by a whole lot of names of fusion age children in 19, 
87, the equivalent of fusion. And some of those names, wow, they just thrilled my heart because these children are now grown to be adults and they're persevering. Joanna Tyndall, just down the road with her husband. She's no longer a Tyndall, she's a Stokes. But uh, she's going on with the Lord. Sarah Shoe, she's on the other side of the world with her husband going on, serving the Lord, bringing up their three sons with the aim of them knowing and following the Lord. Rebecca Stevens, in another part of this country, serving God. Michelle Reisinger. Michelle, here tonight. She signed this 35 years ago. It's the preserving power of God. Martin Green signed it. But in this book, there's a quote and the quote is in your handout there. Because the man who wrote this book, James Montgomery Boyce, he defined the doctrine of perseverance like this. He says this, The doctrine of perseverance means that God, who began a good work in first electing and calling an individual to salvation, God will keep on in that purpose until the person elected and called is brought home to the blessedness prepared for him or her. If a person could be saved and then lost, there'd be no blessedness in salvation, only anxiety. It's God's nature to finish what he started. Before we look into what the doctrine of perseverance is in the Bible, it's worth saying what it's not. It's not freedom from spiritual warfare and anxiety. There's a couple of references in your notes to that, I think, in John 17 and Ephesians 6. The Christian life is a battle. Therefore, it's not freedom from the presence of sin or failure in our lives. Don't you love it that in the Bible, there's only one hero? There's only one hero and the rest of the characters that appear, great though they are, these men and women in many facets and many aspects of their life, are also capable of incredible failure. The man who gave us the Psalms, David, guilty of murder, adultery. Moses, the, led the people of God toward the promised land, was not able to go into the promised land himself because of his failure. It didn't mean that these and others were lost, not at all. Peter, Peter who so often blew it, didn't he? No, what it's saying to us is there's only one hero, that's Jesus, there's only one hero. And all the other characters in the Bible have been preserved in spite of themselves sometimes. But God has not given up on them in spite of their huge failure. What an encouragement that is, isn't it? Because the blood of Christ has covered their failure, has covered their sin, has covered their foolishness. So the doctrine of perseverance is not freedom from spiritual warfare and danger. It's not freedom from the presence of sin or the capacity to fall into sin. And it's certainly not a ticket to easy believism. Well, okay, if I'm saved, I'm saved. I can do what I want now, it doesn't matter. God will still keep me. God 
will save me. I've trusted in Jesus. But scripture repeatedly warns against that kind of view as a total nonsense. Because we have, if we have believed in the Lord Jesus, it will show. There's no room for hope without actions. So that's what it's not. But let's have a look at what it is. It's on the second half of your, your notes there. The doctrine of perseverance in the scripture. The Bible, and if you remember nothing else, remember this please, is crystal clear that those who are justified from their sin by Christ cannot be lost. Now in the Old Testament, it constantly speaks of the keeping power of God and it, it, it describes God in terms of being a shepherd or a, a watchman or a keeper. And Jesus often pulled down on those images when he talked and when he talked about himself. It's the nature of God to watch over his people, to shepherd them, to guide them, to keep them. When we come into the New Testament, there are four key texts that I want us to drill down on this evening just to uh, reinforce this really, which teach the security of the believer uh, Two of them from Jesus, two of them from the Apostle Paul. Firstly, if you've got a Bible, you want to turn there. I don't think these are going to appear on the screen. John 6, 37 to 40. Let me remind you of these words of the Lord Jesus. John chapter 6, verse 37. And if you haven't got access to a Bible, that's okay. Just listen in, please. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. Couldn't be plainer, could it? Jesus will not lose any of those that God the Father has given to him. It's sure and certain. It's a promise that can't be broken because God does not break promises. Then just turn over a couple of pages, really, uh, to John chapter 10, please. John 10, verse 27 to 30. Again, let me read this. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand and I and the Father are one. Do you get the image there? Imagine that father with his small baby. Imagine you came along to try and do some harm to that baby. Is there any way you're going to be able to snatch it out of the Father's hands? Of course not you'd come off far worse. The father would do anything to protect that child. That's what the image is here. Jesus is saying, I and my father are one. 
Nobody's going to snatch my children, my family, those that I've died for, out of my hands. It's impossible because I'm the greatest power in the universe. It's ludicrous to think you could snatch anybody from my hands. What a confidence that gives, even at the darkest times and the hardest times and the times when we've failed or the times when we're struggling. Because you see, what's it saying here is our salvation isn't dependent upon us performing. It's not dependent upon us keeping a set of rules. It's down to the grace of God and the power of God. It can't be done. Election, effectual call, perseverance, they're all there in that little passage, aren't they? And then, of course, one of the most famous uh, passages in the New Testament, in Romans and chapter 8. A little longer this time. Romans 8, verse 33 to 39. Who will bring any charge against those God has chosen? In the context, he's saying, actually, a number of people will bring a charge against you. You call yourself a Christian, and you've done that, and you've behaved like that, and you've, you call yourself a Christian, we'll accuse ourselves. Others will accuse us. Satan himself will accuse us. Who will bring any charge against these elect, says Paul. It seems quite a number of people could do. Let's go on. It's God who justifies. Do you see that? We thought about that a few weeks back. It's God who makes us right. It's not dependent upon our performance. We are stupid. We are sheep. We go astray. We fail. It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. No one. Why don't you underline that in the Bible? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? They all seem pretty threatening. They are pretty threatening. Will they separate us from the love of Christ? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, says Paul. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's back to not being able to snatch you from the Father's hand. There's no power. Even the fiercest demonic power cannot separate you from the love of God. Even the most crass sin, even the most difficult hardship, even the greatest tragedy. There's no power, he's saying here, to separate you from the love of God because God has begun a work. And in its context, Romans 8 speaks of the whole spectrum of salvation from that original uh, calling and election, election and calling, right the way through to glorification. So this theme runs constantly through the Bible. It's repeated in virtually every letter of the New Testament in one way or another. 
And then there's Philippians 1 and verse 6, and that is written there for you as well. You see, God will not give up. Now, of a certain age here, who knows who Magnus Magnuson is? Yeah, you are showing your age here. That's okay. That's blank. They're looking blankly at me over here. But Magnus Magnuson was the original host of Mastermind. Why anybody goes on Mastermind, I can't imagine to put yourself through that. But Mastermind is a very popular TV program. And it's people with their specialist subject and general knowledge subject to find out who's, who's like the brain of Britain. And he had a slogan. Because the clock was ticking, you had two minutes to answer the questions, and he would finish it off. Well, let me ask those that have watched Magnus Magnuson on uh, Mastermind. How did he finish it off? When he was asking the question, he started the question, the buzzer went, and he said, excellent, I've started, so I'll finish. That's what God says. I've started, so I'll finish. Nothing's going to stop me. There's no power in all the world to stop me finish what I've started. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion when? On the day of Christ Jesus. Not till then. We're not the finished product. The story is told of a man who came up to Spurgeon and said he was the finished, project, uh, finished product. He was a person who's attained sinless perfection. So Spurgeon did a thing that only Spurgeon, this great preacher of the 19th century, would do. He kicked the man hard on his shins. Boom. At which point the guy went berserk. Absolutely mad. Started swearing at Spurgeon. Spurgeon simply said, it seems there's a little way to go yet, doesn't it? And walked away. There is no such thing as sinless perfection. You can't be sat so you never sin again. God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. But it's a progressive, constant thing until the day we're taken to glory. The Puritan Thomas Watson put it like this, the heavenly inheritance is kept for the saints and they are kept for the inheritance. So how do we best understand and not misunderstand perseverance as we draw to a close? You see, this doctrine can be easily abused if we, if we misunderstand what the Bible is teaching here. It's, it's not a license, as I referenced earlier, it's not a license to sin or to hang loose to salvation. Doesn't matter what I do, doesn't matter how I live, God will accept me in the end. If a person thinks like that, they demonstrate they're not a Christian. They demonstrate they've never truly experienced or understood grace. You see, if you have experienced the grace of God to you, the love of God to you, the last thing you want to willingly do, you might foolishly do it, but you don't willingly want to harm the one who loves you. You don't want to do anything against God's grace because you realize the enormity of God's grace to you. The pinnacle of which is there on the cross. Greater love has no man than this. He lays down his life for his friends. 
God lays down his life for his enemies. If we understand that, if we understand how God has treated us in Christ, the last thing you want to do is think that's a cheap thing that you can hang loose to. It doesn't matter how I live. I can do this, I can do that. I can pick and choose my Christian life. No, grace doesn't lead to presumption, but to a priority. A priority, a desire to put Jesus first. To not hurt him. To not offend him, but to serve him faithfully. Neither does the doctrine mean that we can let go and let God. Some years ago, that doctrine, or it's not a doctrine, but that slogan was doing the rounds. And people just, oh, I'm not too good in my Christian life. I'm just going to let go and let God. I kind of get spaced out and just leave it all to him. The Bible doesn't encourage us to that at all. The Bible constantly calls us to keep in step with the Spirit, Galatians 5.25. Keep in step with God. Keep in step with what God is doing in your life. Keep in step with what the Spirit is doing in your life through the Word of God. So, let go and let God? No. A license to sin? No. But what it means at heart is Christian perseverance is God's perseverance with the believer. Do you see how kind and gracious and patient God is? I would have given up on me years ago. And we could go around this room tonight, young people, and from the oldest Christian here down to the youngest, but particularly the older Christians, they would all echo that sentiment. God should have given up on me years ago. But he doesn't. He doesn't. That doesn't mean there's not a part for us to play, though. There is a very real part for us to play, we are to persevere because as we persevere, as we keep in step with the Spirit, as we seek in our life to walk in his direction, we, we show that we know his grace. Talking with, with a guy the other day, and in, in many ways I said to him, look, the issue about the Christian life is the direction of travel. Because there's going to be days, there's going to be weeks when it feels that you're going to take one step forward and two step back. But which way do you want to go? I want to go forward, he says. That's what matters. There are other occasions where it's going to be two step forwards and one step back. It's the direction of travel. The direction of travel is born by our heart. Where do we want to go? We want to follow Jesus. We want to please him. We want to obey him. We might foul it up and mess it up, but that's our heart. It's like Peter, isn't it? That's why I love Peter in the Bible. He, he, typical bloke, wasn't he? He just, every time he put his foot in it, one way or another, uh, Lord, they're all, they're all going to leave you, all this, this mob here. I'll never leave you. Oh, really, says Jesus? Let me tell you, Peter, three times before the cocks crow, you are going to deny me. See, Peter didn't know himself very well, but God didn't give up on him. God didn't give up on him. And at one point, Peter, realizing this, says to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Now, can we say that tonight? You're a Christian here tonight. 
deep in your heart, is, is that your default position? Is that what the Spirit has created? Because that's what he does. Lord, I'm like Peter. I will foul it up. But Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And if we truly know that, then, then something of Hebrews 12 will be within us. And we'll, we'll just turn to this as the last one, please. Hebrews chapter 12. Remember, it comes at the, at the end of the great gallery of faith of the so-called heroes of the Bible, who weren't actually heroes, but that's what we've called them. It's faith in action. They're there as a witness to us. They're there as an encouragement, says the writer to the Hebrews. This is what he puts in verse 1 of chapter 12. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. He's there at the finishing point. He's indwelling us by the Spirit, but he's there at the finishing point. He's calling us on, just like a parent on sports day might be at the finishing line. Come on, Johnny, come on, Johnny, you can do it, you can do it. It's not about winning the race. They're not going to win that race, but they're going to complete the race. It's what the writer says. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you won't grow weary and lose heart. God will never call you to do what Jesus went through. But to follow him is to go the way of the cross. It is to endure. It is to persevere. But in that endurance, in that perseverance, it's God who is at work. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Nobody's going to snatch you out of my hands. That's the perseverance of the saints. And the proof, the proof that I'm a Christian is that I'm persevering in obedience. Not that I'm perfect, Never will be. But I'm persevering. And as I do, God perseveres in me and keeps me for that great day. At the end of his life, the Apostle Paul put it like this in 1 Timothy 6. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. It is a good fight. Indeed, it's the best of fights, isn't it? to be a Christian it is the only fight worth fighting it is a good race it's tough it's a marathon it's hard at times you run out of breath every bone in your body aches but it's the only race worth running for here's what happens at the final bell here's what happens at the finishing line Paul goes on now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Not only me, but all who've longed for his appearance. I'm not a Premier League Christian, says Paul. This is for every, every Christian throughout the ages, throughout the millennia. Millions who are persevering and are kept 
by the power of God to that finishing line who fight the good fight, they will receive a crown of righteousness. Can you imagine that? The approval, the blessing. And as you get there, as you get that, what's going to be on your lips? Well, kind of, um, yeah, I probably deserve that, really. Ned. No. You say, this is amazing. Even me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. All who've longed for his appearance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful doctrine that reminds us that you are constantly at work in our lives, in the minutiae of our life, in the big issues and the small issues, that whatever stage of life we're at, whether we're in our teens or whether in, a, in our 80s, Lord God, you are at work. You are keeping your people. Help us to keep in step with your spirit. I pray especially for the young people that in the coming years, they might have the joy of looking back upon their contemporaries, upon their friends, and seeing that they're still walking with Christ. Lord, please do that for their good and for your glory. And do it for each one of us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Right, well, I've chosen a hymn to finish, finish with. It's a great hymn, and um, Dave thinks we may, well, I think a lot of people in the room will know it, but actually he suggested that we sing it Acapulco, which means without Dave, without, well, he's going to join me, I think. But I've also persuaded Neil Salter because the hymn we're going to sing is How Firm a Foundation, You Saints of the Lord, it's all about perseverance, is laid for your word, for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you, he has said, who unto Jesus for refuge hath fled. But here's the thing, here's the deal. Here's the last, can we have the last verse? Is the last verse up there? Okay, now, there's a way that this has got to be sung. And it's, it's, this is how it goes. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, he will not, he cannot desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, he'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. But the last line has to be sung like this. He'll never, no, never, no, never sake it's that affirmation of trusting God this is an impossibility that he should let us go and we sing it to the encouragement of one another and we sing it with uh, humility but we we sing it with confidence in God because he's not going to allow us to be snatched out of his hand he'll never no never no never forsake I want the rafters shaking at that point and then I'm going to ask Pastor Mike to come out and close in prayer for us. So, uh, we're, off we go. Uh, perhaps just sing the first verse and then give everybody a chance and then we'll come back and start again, at which point we'll all stand up. Okay.